Hey, this is John Kessler. Thanks for tuning in to A Stranger in the House of God podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that you can still get a 30% discount if you pre-order my latest book entitled When God is Silent from Lexham Press. I don't think it's quite like any other book about prayer you've read. Most books on the subject seem to assume that we either don't want to pray or don't know how. I think the reason is something else. When God is Silent will help you to understand why prayer so often feels like an awkward conversation with God and what we can do about it. To get the discount, just go to Lexham Press. That's L-E-X-H-A-M-P-R-E-S-S, one word, LexhamPress.com, and type John Kessler into the search box. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't subscribed yet, why not do that today at JohnKessler.com? You can comment, share, and find my email address there as well. parables, Jesus compared prayer to someone who asks a neighbor to loan him three loaves of bread when an unexpected visitor shows up at midnight. In the scenario that Jesus describes, the neighbor is unwilling at first. Don't bother me, the neighbor says. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. What is Jesus' counsel in such a situation? Keep asking. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus made the same point in another parable to show his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. This story concerned a widow who kept going to a judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Because the judge neither feared God nor cared what people thought, the woman came to him repeatedly without getting the answer she desired. The power dynamics described in this witty story aptly describe how we often feel when it comes to prayer. Helpless, powerless, and frequently ignored. Prayer is an act of communion with God. But for most of us, it's also about getting something from God. Most prayers include an ask of some kind. We aren't praying just to hear ourselves talk. Jesus' primary point, of course, is that God is not like the neighbor or the judge. But it's an important starting point to acknowledge that we often feel that he is. We don't struggle with prayer because it's hard. Our problem is that we're not sure it's worthwhile. We suspect that God is not interested in our case or fear that he will not decide matters in our favor. Delay and denial are the major reasons for this uncertainty. We pray, but the answer doesn't seem to come. Or we pray and the response we receive is not the one we had wanted. Why does God often seem so slow when Scripture assures us that He is not slow? 
One reason is that our relationship to time is very different from God's. In 2 Peter 3.8, we're told to remember that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. What seems to us like a delay is not a delay to God. God's plans unfold according to His schedule. The fact that time does not limit God does not mean that He has no sense of timing. Jesus began his public ministry with the words, The time has come. Romans 5.6 tells us that Christ died for sinners at just the right time. We are sometimes frustrated with the timing of God's answers to our prayers because we forget that we are also part of a larger drama. As far as our daily experience is concerned, we continue to live on a timeline that unfolds as past, present, and future. We are subject to the limitations of the temporal realm in this present life. We are also living in the reality of Christ's finished work. Our lives have been folded into Christ and His kingdom. As a result, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. One implication of this is that our prayers' answers are an accomplished fact even before they have been granted. Another is that we can be certain that whatever form God's answer may take, it will reflect His loving purpose for our lives. This heavenly perspective casts Jesus' promise in Matthew 18:19 in a new light. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What Jesus describes is not a positive attitude, but a sphere of authority. Those who ask in faith can be certain of an answer because they operate out of the heavenly realm where God's will is always done. The trouble with the view that sees Jesus' promise as a blank check, which guarantees that we get whatever we want from God, is that it shifts the focus of prayer away from the Heavenly Father so that our only concern is the particular requests we happen to be making. This approach to prayer reduces God to little more than a delivery system for the thing we hope to obtain. He might as well be a vending machine. The second problem is that such an approach confuses an affirmative with an answer. It fails to allow for the possibility that God could also answer our prayer by denying our request. While a no is probably not the answer we want, it's still an answer. The Bible offers examples of notable saints whose prayers were refused by God. Moses pleaded with God to allow him to enter the land of promise. David asked God to heal his first son by Bathsheba. Paul repeatedly prayed for God to remove the thorn in his flesh. And most notably, Jesus prayed to be spared the suffering of the cross in language that suggests he was fully aware that such a thing was not possible. Likewise, there are many in Scripture who waited years 
some for their entire lives, without seeing God grant their desires. Of them, the author of Hebrews writes, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Although he's not speaking explicitly of prayer, the principle is just as true. The fact that God does not grant our request as soon as we would like doesn't necessarily mean that he will not give it to us at all. While his refusal to grant a request altogether isn't always a sign that God is displeased with us. It doesn't necessarily mean that we lack the faith to receive it. Sometimes, God's decision not to grant our request has nothing to do with us at all, at least as far as cause and effect are concerned. But is there ever a time when we don't get what we ask because it's our own fault? The answer is yes. James chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 explains, You desire, but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Prayer is not magic. It doesn't work like an incantation. We don't get what we want in prayer simply because we voice our desire aloud to God. There's a kind of assurance in what James says here. It means that we cannot manipulate God by our prayers. We never have to worry that God will give us something that we should not have. At the same time, the scenario that James describes should sober us because it shows how evil motives can subvert a spiritual activity like prayer. The specific motives mentioned by James are greed and envy, but other motives can insert themselves into our praying. For example, Jesus warns of the danger of praying to be seen by others. Some prayers are not prayers at all. They are theater. The prayers Jesus condemns in Matthew 6, 5 were public displays of piety intended to elicit praise from others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, Jesus warns. The first principle in prayer, then, is simply to ask. Tell God what you want, as simply as you can. Getting something from God is not the only thing in prayer, but it is the first thing. Need and desire provide the initial impetus for us to pray. There's no reason to be ashamed of this. The second principle in prayer is to pray honestly. One of the greatest temptations in prayer is to tell God what we think He wants to hear instead of what is really on our hearts. There's no point in putting on airs. He already knows what we think. The third principle of prayer is to persist. 
This advice comes directly from Jesus. Pray and do not give up. We persist in prayer, not because we think it will put pressure on God to grant our request, but as an expression of faith. We continue because we believe that God's interest in us and in our needs is persistent. Persistence in prayer is evidence of our dependency, not a sign of our doubt. God is not like the reluctant neighbor or the unjust judge in Jesus' parables. It is God's nature to give good gifts to his children. God hears us when we pray, whenever we cry out to him. Thank you.